Hey guys, this is Ronnie. Just a reminder, these are old episodes, and if you want to check out what we are currently doing, all you have to do is go to the Rebooted channel on YouTube, and you can see our sweet faces talking about this stuff. And announcing a new podcast with Ed Greer, Ron Swallow, and producer Bill called The Greatest Pod. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. In addition, if you want to support us monetarily, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash thegreatestpod, and you can sign up for the $5 tier that gets you extra podcasts, or sign up for the $7 tier that gets you the extra podcasts and art sent directly to your house. We've got a new Tee Public store for you to get all of the cool shirts that you could possibly want. The Mumbo Gumbo, the Pop Art Reboot Crew, the Classic Logo, and then, of course, the Rebooted Drinking Game, which has Jensen Ackles and DJ Qualls, among other fan-favorite comments. So, do yourself a favor. Go to tpublic.com slash user slash reboot dash it and pick up your favorite t-shirt. So, thanks for listening and thanks for supporting Reboot It. At a major Hollywood studio, in a corner office of Sub-Basement D, the development executives toil in obscurity to reboot it. Happy Halloween, ladies and gentlemen. We are back, season three of Reboot It, and we have got a spooky one for you today. Very much getting into the spirit of the season. And uh, with me, as always, to do so is the Reboot Crew. You know him from Hot Takes with Billy Business. Now in its farewell season, Mr. Billy Business. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Uh, you know, when Invisible Man came out earlier in quarantine, my first thought was like, damn, that's a that's a rebooted episode right there. That's something we would have come up with. So it'll be fun to kind of reinvent some of these characters. Absolutely. We'll set the ground rules for who's part of our Universal Monster episode and who's not. But before that, a monster in and of himself, a pop culture monster, a pop culture juggernaut, Mr. Ed Greer. Hey, thank you guys so much. I took the bolts out of my neck and I'm ready to work. <laughs> and finally, you know him from the Nerd Goat podcast, Mr. Ron Swallow. Yeah, don't forget uh, the books. The breakfast in a book with swallow come on that's uh, the best credit i have guys tens of people you guys um <laughs> i Do read you have poker bookie collecting with ron swallow on twitch like can i watch someone come try to collect on you oh yeah that's, that's a great idea i love that's that idea that is a great idea. Just me being punched in the face by big people over and over again. I love it's that. It's the show. reality show version of Rounders. That's what I want, Ron. Just, right, just cool. seeing, just seeing Ron go. You don't know where I've been. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, gentlemen, we are doing the Universal Monsters franchise today. I am excited about this one for the chiefly for the reason that Universal themselves have been trying to do this just really blatantly and sloppily for decades at this point, they think they have a Marvel-style franchise in this collection of monster movies from the 1940s. I want to see if we can actually achieve that because so far they have not been able to. Mm -hmm. So before we get too deep into it, I just want to know from each of you, do you have a favorite universal monster? Billy, go ahead. 
Um, you know, uh, of all the the movies, and and I'll be frank, not because they're horror movies, because you know that has nothing to do with it, but like these aren't something that are super reverent to me, which I kind of think makes it a little bit more fun. But of all of them, I would say the uh, Boris Karloff Frankenstein. That's the one that I'm most familiar with. Probably the one that I enjoyed the most when I watched all of these you know, in film school, I think we watched like this and black lagoon and mummy and, and, and all those fun stuff. So Frankenstein is the one to me, that's kind of like the heart and the soul and the, the tragic story that I really like. All right, Ed, what do you think? Favorite monster? Um, mine is the Wolfman, just because I think people discount the gravitas of the curse of the Wolfman. You know, mm-hmm. you, 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 your body's taken over. You're not control of your actions. You become basically a serial killer. Whether you're a good guy or not, you become a serial killer for a, sh- a short amount of time each month or whatever. It's just like it's such a cross to bear that I think it makes her powerful storytelling. Got it. Ron, favorite universal monster? Uh, mine's obviously Invisible wa- uh, Invisible Man because I want to look at butts. Um, <laughs> no, um, I'm Frankenstein too. Ron, I- how are you getting us canceled in the first five minutes of this show? <laughs> uh, I, I liked uh, Frankenstein. Uh, I read that. I read it as a kid when I, you know, and it creeped me out, but it also was interesting at the same time. The tragic story. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's, 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 it's rich. <laughs> okay. A lot of central wounds on that one. So, <laughs> so many, many wounds. central wounds. <laughs> yeah. He's got so many of them sewn um, up. <laughs> plus a great theme of who's the real monster. Is it your outside or is it your insides? Okay. I think that that's a recurring theme in the universal monsters. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll definitely get into that. For me, you know, this is kind of a weird one. I think my favorite is The Mummy. Um, Having nothing to do with the Brendan Fraser or certainly the Tom Cruise versions of that franchise, but I have always been in the bag for Egyptian mythology and Egyptian mysticism in general. And I think aesthetically, I always found The Mummy the creepiest. The whole idea of like the lost tombs and the zombies coming back to life and the curse of a curse of it all. I just think it's super rich. Um, Let's get into what we mean when we talk about the universal monsters, because this is actually an an almost unwieldy umbrella to put these characters under. The universal monsters as we know them actually started, and this is a little bit bizarre, in 1925 with the Phantom of the Opera. And I think because the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical has become such the operant version of that story for most people, you forget that it actually began as a straight up horror tale uh, that was the original Universal monster movie made in 1925. From there, you got the more classic ones. You got your Bela Lugosi Dracula. You got your Boris Karloff Frankenstein. Uh, I believe it was also Boris Karloff in The Mummy. Uh, you got the Invisible Man, you got the Bride of Frankenstein, you got the Wolfman, and then it 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 matriculated into a bunch of sequels, um, too many to count, hmm. until finally kind of coming to an end with the creature from the Black Lagoon, the Gill Man, in the 1950s. That was the very much the last monster introduced. Um, and really marked sort of the beginning of the end for this whole Universal Monsters franchise, which did exist for about 20, 30 years 
um, of uninterrupted. I don't know that they were all hits, but like, I mean, you were getting multiple movies a year from this franchise that was doing really, really well. Went away by the time we got to the late 50s and certainly into the 60s and the 70s. And then there was a bit of a resurgence in the 90s. Um, and there's some great videos elsewhere on YouTube kind of talking about that's where this idea of the dark universe first started coming to be. Like, how can we make these auteur-driven, almost artistic horror films, the likes of Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula and the and Wolf with Jack Nicholson and um, the mummy kind of didn't fit into that pattern, but again, was very much universal trying to recapture the magic of the golden age of their monster movies. Mm. Most recently, we saw Tom Cruise and Russell Crowe star in a action adventure romp version of The Mummy that was supposedly going to kick off a new version of the, of the, the Dark Universe after Dracula Untold, which was another attempt to kick off the, the, the Dark Universe bombed. After The Wolfman with Benicio Del Toro, which was another attempt to kick off the Dark Universe bomb. It was such a like a Trump thing where it was just like, oh, no, 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 that wasn't the start. This one's the start. And then it bombed. It's like, oh, no, we never said that was the start. This is the start three times, three times before they finally called time of death on this thing. It, it's been a bizarre and, and like, I don't know if you out there watching this pay as much attention to this as we do. But there have been a constant stream of announcements in the trades about Universal putting writers rooms together, hiring big name screenwriters, plotting this franchise. And like it just never comes to be. It just it always it always tanks. So the most recent example, I guess, is actually the Invisible Man. Um, and we can talk about this a little bit. I don't believe that they were treating The Invisible Man as the first in a franchise. No. Um, it was a co-production with Blumhouse, and Blumhouse treated it like they do all of their horror properties, which is let's make a lean, mean, scary, modern horror movie and let the chips fall where they may. And by all accounts, fell in a pretty nice array. Uh, that, was, that was a bit of a return to form for the Universal Monsters, even if it's not necessarily something you could build a franchise on. So in terms of defining where we're starting, I put it to the group. Is the Invisible Man part of what we're doing here? Or do we leave that aside, let it, let it be its own thing, and our dark universe, Universal Horror Monsters, is going to be separate from that? Hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that movie works so well... I, I'm I'm honestly watching it. I was half super impressed and half super pissed that it wasn't ours. Uh, so I'm going to say out of pure respect for how great of a movie I truly think Invisible Man is that we let that stand on its own and we come in and we do our own thing. That's my vote. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 can, I concur. <laughs> Simple as that. I concur. Uh, yeah, I, I just I agree just because, look, <clears throat> I know that I'm the negative one and there are things that make me have to be that we won't go into. But straight up, invisibility is dumb and it sucks because it's useless. You can't steal nothing because they see an apple or a gun bopping all around. You can't you, you got to be naked. You know, if we were doing it as, you know, a physiological process is what I mean. 
uh, I don't, I won't uh, talk about the movie, but they do it a lot better than that. They do it a lot better and a lot more effective than you got to be naked and have a bunch of, you know, uh, burrs in your foot every time you want to go skulk about. You know what I mean? It's just so useless. So just for a practical thing and a modern incarnation, I don't want to deal with invisibility and certainly not as a serum. Uh, I'm going to make that unanimous. I say that Invisible Man movie is what it is, but it doesn't have any bearing on what we're doing here today. So I think the first thing we should do, because this is obviously a little bit different than what we've done in the past. We're talking about what almost necessarily has to be a multi-movie franchise, although maybe not. We'll get into it. But let's define the monsters that we're using. And I think it's, it's pretty straightforward. I think you have to have Dracula, Frankenstein, and the Wolfman, right? And then from there, I would add on the creature from the Black Lagoon mm. and the mummy. And then if we what? want to do the bride, I think there's an argument to be made that the bride of Frankenstein is very much a, 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 an integral part of that original franchise. But that would be my thinking. Weigh in. Everybody. Well, everybody where is Jekyll and Hyde off the table? Are they not? Jekyll and Hyde was never part of the original Universal Monsters franchise, which is the weird thing about the, the Russell Crowe character in the Tom Cruise mummy movie. I'm, f- I'm fine leaving it out. I kind of do think that a lot of the a lot of the 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 same themes and issues as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde can probably be just as easily explored with the Wolfman, who's, mm-hmm. I think, aesthetically mm. probably more interesting. So nice. I think that's I, I that. think that's dead on. Ron, yeah. Ed, what do you guys think? Go, I'm, Ron. I'm thinking about well, I, I oh, those are all great. I 100% agree. We should have those guys in those five, and I think the bride will be important as well. Um, I'm just wondering. Well, we'll get into it. I'm just thinking about the overall, the the, the bigness of this, and how we do this. Where I don't know. We'll see where we go. I have a I couple. Think, ideas, I mean, I can I, wanna, I can at I least throw out. out I can at least throw out, I think it's a mistake to try right off the bat to to do your League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, to do your yeah. Avengers. That's what I'm thinking about, too. Yeah, I think... I think I this think, is single movies that turns into that, possibly. Honestly, there's nothing more embarrassing for Universal than the fact that there's a photo shoot with every single person who was supposed to be in the Dark Universe that now stands as a weird time capsule of when they thought they had hot shit, and they didn't. So for <laughs> me, I would rather boil it down like, okay, we have these five characters... How did they each it's almost like picking a, a villain for a comic book movie. Like, what do these characters say about us as people so that we don't end up having like, you know, I think once we can figure out, like, what's the defining kind of characteristic of that character? I think the stories will become much easier. And that's why I was saying, like, with Jekyll Hyde and Wolfman, like, I feel like we'd be, you know, Bang our heads thing. against the wall trying to figure out how to fit one of them into it because one of them already served that role. So it's using their individual movies to see what their purpose is for the larger thing. Uh, the Avengers did it beautifully. Tony was your mouthy rebellion tech guy. Uh, Captain Rogers was your strategist, your company man. Hulk was your muscle. You already got all that in their individual movies, so it made sense by the time it all coalesced. And I think you just have to take from the Marvel playbook because they're the only ones that have done it successfully. Yeah, I, okay. I, I, okay, I agree with that, and but and I'm definitely not trying to know but that at all. 
sure, but I am saying, but I am saying one thing that we find ourselves doing if we do this is making like a bunch of movies, which we've done before. We've did it with um, uh, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, things of this nature. So I'm not really balking at that part. I'm just saying, just saying it out loud. The other thing is, I think what Universal found out is that for a modern audience, you ain't trying to watch no whole last mommy movie, dog. You ain't about to watch no whole last lagoon ass movie. What, how do you keep them out of the water for an hour and a half? How do you, what do you do? I don't understand. But then how did they? But, but they found a way to get sense. you to watch a whole ass Invisible Man movie. They found a because spin of, on it that made sense Invisible to us. It's so much more deep, especially in the way that they did it, than everybody oh, man, in this I, whole team except for Dracula. Except for Jacqueline, maybe my favorite, the Wolfman. He's so much deeper than any of these guys to me. But they did that. I feel like they did that. And I'm saying that's our job is to how can you make a whole ass? <laughs> how do you make a whole ass instead of a half ass for each well, one? I want five whole asses. I want all the full whole asses and then one mega booty I, at I, the I, end. All, all I would like to I, suggest that we add more. Um, Asses, yes, as we I, like I, to I say, totally agreed. Uh, agency to each of these characters because a lot of times what seems to happen is the mummy is this character that does this curse thing, and that's all that the mummy is. Ooh, I gotta push back, Ron. I, I mean, I'm just I, saying a lot of times, not all the time. Obviously, it's in the worst movies, but that's not no, all it is. I think we can make it more, is what I'm saying. No, what I'm saying is I think that that's intentional, and we have to preserve that. Oh. I think I think the, the through line. And so, like, let's get into this. I know we usually start by asking, you know, what does an audience expect out of this franchise? But I think it's maybe more important to start with these guys with what do their stories actually mean? What mm -hmm. are these stories about? OK. Mm -hmm. And for me, Ron, to your point, I think these stories are very much about how the world rejects that which is different. And I think that you see that in. The Wolfman in Dracula, certainly in Frankenstein. I think the creature from the Black Lagoon can be that, even if that was never fully realized. And I think um, the mummy is probably the thinnest version of that. But it's it's the idea that the monsters are monsters, right? Like they're we're not trying to make them sympathetic heroes. And I do oh, think that okay. would be a I do think that would be a mistake. That is totally what I wanted to do, but I totally get that. I'll really push. We're going to argue a lot if that's what you're going to try to do. Uh, I, I don't have a. I don't have that much. I, I think it would be better, but I don't. I'm also not committed to that. I think if you're, I, I think why I why that's my instinct is because uh, we've they've already done the thing where they're monsters, uh, and and I don't. I think it's been seen so many times, but I totally get that preserving the. Um, I don't know, the joy and and the scariness of the original movies makes a lot of sense. So uh, that's where I'm coming from in that. And, and I guess just to put some nuance into what I'm saying, you know, there the whole idea is that they do monstrous things and they do legitimately horrific things, but they exist in a world where they are so persecuted. They are so unable to live a normal life that I think there's a certain amount of sympathy that you gain for them just by virtue of the fact that like, it's not even an option to integrate into society. And so you really have these stories of the ultimate outsiders 
who are not necessarily nice and are not necessarily heroic and are not even necessarily doing selfless things. But it's it's almost like the, the meta text is about how messed up the world is in almost a nihilistic way because there's no fixing it. And so I don't know if that's exactly the, the stories that we want to be telling. But to me, that's always been what these stories are at their core. Can I ask a question? Um, and I'm going to directly uh, know, but myself sure. from what I said earlier, is there a reason why they all have to kind of coalesce into one story? Is it enough that they just all exist in this universe of the world and that people are aware that there is a creature of the Black Lagoon, thus the idea of Frankenstein is scarier because they know these kinds of things already exist. Like, is that enough? I just, the thing is when you build up this super group and now you have this all-star Avengers of monsters, but if they're not, if they're not sympathetic, you've just built the Legion of doom. And it's like the more interesting part is how are we going to stop them? And I feel like the, the, the spotlight should be on the monsters, not necessarily like this, what what are all these monsters? They don't even have the same once. It would be very strange why they would even be together. Well, I mean, there was a part of me that was, when we first stopped into this that was thinking Suicide Squad-ish type thing where almost like they've uh, the government has somehow gained control over but, these but, but even, monsters. Even, uh, but just we have to, to start. Hold on. But the problem is we'd have to start. We'd have to start with the first movies first and then move into how that all got happening it becomes so so big that it's it's it seems unwieldy and that's that's where i'm at with all of this is like i'm just thinking how like is it better like you said to just do a movie for frankenstein a movie for wolfman and and then leave it you know at the, at those five characters and not bring them together i don't know what do you guys think i know what, what i was just going to say about that whole the whole suicide squad thing i think i might have been the first person to write that down but i just think it's not about the government controlling anybody it's about the fact that if you are a bunch of damn monsters who have been hunted since the beginning of time and the only reason why you always damn lose is everybody gangs up against you and whoops your ass and drives you into the mountains why wouldn't you seek out these other wondrous things and see if there was some sort of coalition or something or, or I don't know, as a story thing? I, I know why you wouldn't do it in real life because you're a damn monster without a telephone. So I, I get why you wouldn't do it in real life. But for story purposes, if I was part of a persecuted tribe of super beings, I would try to find them and see if we could smash up these humans. But I get why that's unwieldy for us to do as one big movie. But I also get why that is interesting. But well, I think also, about it, you know, think about this, Ed. I mean, what you're basically describing is what if Dracula was Thanos and the other monsters were the in Infinity Stones? And it uh, becomes yeah. this quest of like the one amongst them who who actually has like the reason and the, the mental capacity to say, no, we should be better. We should be privileged goes about trying to assemble all of these forces in a bid for power or whatever it is. And uh, yes, ending that, I think the reason why I thought of that, I always thought of Dracula as the central villain, but not somebody you would know as a central villain the whole time because he could present Dracula is so charming. He could present as, hey, man, I'm just like y'all. Hey, green dude with the bolts in your neck, man, you persecuted just like me. I'm a handsome nobleman who's super rich and has a bunch of servants, but I get your plight. You know what I mean? Like Billy was talking about Trump earlier. The ultimate fake populist is Dracula. 
because he drinks people's blood and he takes their experience into him and he assimilates with them and he can speak their language, but he is not them because he's a damn creature of the night who's a parasitic monster. So that and he's got the, weird hair too, just like Trump. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that being the case, Dracula making an undead or unwieldy weird army to to to, to like use as foot soldiers in the daytime where he can't go to conquer some world or whatever, and then they get wise to it and go, "Wait a minute, we're working for Satan. Now we're bad, but we're not that bad." Or so I don't know. Maybe that's too much, but I I just you know. I guess for me, like the 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 team up of all of them it almost just sounds like a joke like a werewolf a mummy and a frankenstein walk into a bar like it doesn't the the parts are so disparate that i feel like in my mind and maybe this is our job is i see the individual movies being really personal and very much within the uh, within the like the serious tone and kind of like really getting to the human emotion of it. And then that all just kind of falls by the wayside to do this like, but really now we're going to do the Avengers of Monsters, which but, to me just yeah. like kind of is a very tonally different to me than, I would, I would, than the individual stories. Go ahead. I, I would just pause it very quickly uh, that A, that is our job and B, again, how many times in the modern era do we have to see these movies fail? How many times do we have to see the, the werewolf is one of the most interesting damn things. I know it's my favorite, but it just is. It's so damn interesting. I haven't seen an interesting werewolf thing since like the howling, maybe okay, American well, werewolf in London. This is start, 30 years. Let's start with that. Why do you think the Wolfman is interesting? What is it that when you hear when you think about the Wolfman, what's the most interesting thing to you? It's everything that you want. You want you want to be superhuman. You want to have no fear in that deep forest. You want to be the baddest thing in the forest. Oh, but also you can't control yourself and you might kill your wife and your dad. You know, it, it, by the <laughs> way, I think I think that applies to all these characters, though, is it's they're all curse narratives to a certain degree. It's like you get wish fulfillment of superpowers and fearlessness and all that shit you said. But in all cases, you are a horrible monster that has no place anywhere in the world. I think mm -hmm. that applies to Frankenstein. I think that, I mean, I think that applies to Frankenstein almost doubly because if you're Dr. Frankenstein, you literally have, uh, have wielded power over death. I mean, you've solved the ultimate problem, but in doing so you create something horrific. And if you're the monster, you are super strong, superhuman, never going to die. And in some version, in the original version, you have human level intelligence, but you're so horrifically disgusting, you can't live anywhere with anybody. Yeah. Um, you know, it, that thread runs through all of these. It's wish fulfillment tinged with not only body horror, but sort of sociological horror. Yeah. Tinged with like, the world will not abide this. Okay, so let's go through each character and try to decide what's cool about each character and how we want to tell that story, right? I, you know, before we jump into that, Ron, I, I just want to, I do want us to think, because it's, gonna, it's going to impact the decisions we make. I want us to think about, do we want to make a team-up movie? Do we want this all to build to something intentionally or not? And I think that is a big question. And, I, you know, Billy, you were talking about the Avengers of monster movies feeling like a, feeling like a joke. I totally understand that. But then I agree with Ed that I think it is our job to figure out, can you even do that without it feeling like a joke? And I want to, 
I, I just want to bring up two things, and they're actually written by the same guy. So Warren Ellis, who we've discovered is problematic, but is one of the greatest living comic book writers. He is the showrunner and writer behind Castlevania on Netflix, which does an amazing job of making Dracula a horrible, inhuman, bloodthirsty monster that should not by any means win, but also sympathetic. I think that's instructive that you can do that. And then number two, Warren Ellis wrote a series called Planetary in the late 90s. And it achieved this synthesis of all these different worlds by sort of positing as its story, as its through line, the discovery of like the hidden nooks and crannies of the Victorian world. This idea that there is a world that we know that's in our history books, and underneath that there's all this awful, horrible crap that people like, people like Sherlock Holmes and like the main character of the book, Elijah Snow, um, are dedicated to sort of keeping under wraps of trying to make sure that it doesn't spill out and damage the real world. And again, I think it's just a really effective narrative for how to fit all these disparate parts into the same whole. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with either of those things, Castlevania or Planetary, but I think that they, they provide blueprints for what we're trying to do here in a way. Yeah, and, and also just to, just a yes and that part, I just think it's one of these things where you find yourself building a bunch of movies with a bunch of human characters when the money makers are these people. These guys are are super co-stars to the point of being Michael Keaton in the second Batman movie. They're they're barely in their own movies because they're so unknowable. And I just think us trying to know them is the is the larger, harder screenwriting task to me. Ron, I want to go back to what you were talking about, which is what you know, what is cool about each of these characters. And the thing that jumps out to me right away is that you have two characters in this milieu with agency, right? Of the monsters themselves. I think the mummy is mindless. Frankenstein is fairly mindless. Creature from the Black Lagoon, inhuman. But Dracula and the Wolfman are two characters who are both cursed, who have totally opposite reactions to the curse. The Wolfman wants to get rid of it, is, is horrified that it's happening to him. And Dracula completely embraces it and tries to use it to gain power and so right away i start to see there's there's the inklings of a of a conflict on which you can build a movie right there in my opinion okay i don't know any other any thoughts is any of this making this feel less overwhelming to you guys or does it all still feel like an exercise in futility well i mean I, are we still trying to decide are we still trying to decide whether we're going to turn this into an avengers type thing where we do single movies and then one big movie at the end that brings them together for some reason or okay. are we just going to do single movies and if that's the case then we need to just start talking about each movie and get into it but let's let's decide yeah. that right now yeah well the, the, to answer that question for me I, I won't say that i'm super gung-ho on the suicide squad or 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 whatever the hell you want to call it team up movie but I will say the only reason why the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen sucked is because it sucked. As a comic book, it was good. 
Yep. Stephen Norrington directed the non-hell out of that movie. It was basically poorly acted by everybody, including uh, a Sean Connery that was about to retire. They forced Tom Sawyer into there. They put cars in there. It was fantastical enough to have the Nautilus from Captain Nemo in there and all this different stuff. And 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 um, Invisible Man was a spy and a sociopath and uh, Agatha Harkness or whatever had vampire powers, which she kind of has in the book. But they just they screwed it up just because they screwed it up doesn't mean we would if we chose to do that is all I'm saying about that. Okay. Billy business, your opinion. I'm just not interested in the team up whatsoever. I, I feel like it undercuts what you could really emotionally accomplish in their own movies. Um, that being said, uh, I will not derail this episode if that's the the choice that we make. But personally, I look. We are four different people with four very different tastes. My taste is just I I don't like the idea of the team up movie, and I think that's maybe where Universal keeps trying to get it right, and they keep failing. Is that they keep trying to build to something that ultimately is the Winchester House? It just goes nowhere. Um, <laughs> but if we want to try, if we want to, if we want to build those staircase to, to Wait, nothing, just, then I, I'm just, there. Did you? Oh, Winchester House. I thought you were talking crap about Supernatural. I was about to get mad. But now relax, I don't know. relax, okay. relax. Yeah, don't, don't get your Supernatural. Get, back up. Take Misha Collins off of your speed dial. I'm not saying anything about Dude, Supernatural. Look, I'm just, not just, saying just, he doesn't text me or anything. Just, like just, that. He, but he just, just. Just to put a point on why why I don't think we're fighting. I think the reason why this isn't a Twilight fight or a Matrix fight is that personally, I think the the dissonance between the reason why Universal keeps failing is they try to make a whole ass mummy movie before they build this up. That I really think that's really what it is. They what they did 1890s werewolf movie. Werewolf was like slicing people's whole arms off. The special effects were fantastic. He fights Anthony Hopkins. They, two werewolves, one of whom is Benicio Del Toro, one of whom is Anthony Hopkins, have a title fight at the end. And it sucks. It sucks. They, they but, tried but so hard. To can, I do, can I tell you why I, I, I just, disagree just, with you? It's because they didn't, they didn't make a whole ass mummy movie. And that was the problem with Tom Cruise's mummy movie is that it was not a whole ass mummy movie. You throw in Jekyll and Hyde and you start to put those pieces in already. And the, the story gets muddled because the parts are so disparate that it just doesn't make sense. And nobody gets the payoff that they deserve. So that's why in my mind, I, absolutely think that it's trying to mix all these components together they it's it's chocolate syrup on a piece of pizza i love both of those things i don't think that they go well together and i think that's where you're just going to keep hitting your head against the wall is trying to make these really cool pieces all try to fit together when it just a lot of them just thematically don't even work together and, I, oh. and i'm i'm saying you know how chocolate tastes we have tasted the thousands of Bavarian chocolates of Dracula and the thousands of Bavarian chocolates of werewolves. And these days, people don't like the old Romanian chocolate of Dracula by itself anymore. He's villains in movies. There hasn't been a successful Dracula on his own movie. That last one they made, they told a superhero story with Dracula and people still didn't like it. They did a whole ass movie explaining all of his motivations, giving him superpowers, saying that he sacrificed himself for his people to become a cursed superhero like Batman and in Dark Knight in, in the Dark Knight. 
You know what I mean? They did everything they could to make that one movie good. And it failed because people said, Dracula, seen it. But what you no, I just think that was a bad piece of chocolate. Like that that's that's crappy chocolate, honestly, yeah, because that's that not what Dracula is. It's that chocolate you buy at the at the the weird mom and pop grocery store that turns out to be seven years old. You open it up and you start to take a bite and you're like, oh man, I got this. <laughs> I think I think Invisible Man, if anything, showed that the right take on a concept of what these monsters are, people will 100% be there and be all for it because I think Invisible Man should have on paper been the dumbest one out of all of them and somehow they made it relevant and straight to that story, which is again why I think we all agreed that Invisible Man shouldn't even be a part of this is because that story stood on its own. So when you talk about a universe, my instinct is this all happens within this same world and people are aware of these events and maybe even those events inspire people's maybe the events of a creature of the black lagoon is what even gets this guy to think about creating Frankenstein's monster, but to try to manufacture them to all be on screen at the same time. This is the last time I will say it. And then I swear I will move on. I think is a huge mistake. And I think that's where these things keep going wrong. I will now rest my case. Bill, we didn't hear well, uh, your opinion on that. I, I feel like I feel like we're not. I, I feel like everybody is is a little bit boxed in in their thinking because just having all the characters in one movie doesn't mean it has to be League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. You yeah, know what I mean? Like putting all these characters in the same movie doesn't mean that they are the five protagonists of a movie in which they are fighting something. I don't think that works. I think that would be a mistake unless it's a comedy, but you can also create a movie where all five of these characters fit into the logic of the story. And I also agree with Ed and, or maybe Ed and Billy were agreeing with each other. I also don't think the solution is what they did in the mummy. Make us care about Tom Cruise, the human character, create your version of shield. And that's the connective tissue that connects everything. I think that's kind of BS too. I agree with that assessment. I think that was 100%. me and Billy agreeing. That was me and Billy yes. doing the, the predator. Sometimes our <laughs> fights sound eerily close to our agreements, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess what I'm saying is, is if we if we look at each one of these characters on a very fundamental level, like what is this story about and what makes it interesting, I yeah. still think there's opportunity to cross-pollinate in a way that is not as passive as what Billy is suggesting, where it's like, oh, you know, Dr. Frankenstein read about this humanoid creature, and so he got the idea to create a Frankenstein monster. <laughs> it can be more active. It can actually be these characters inter, inter interacting in a way. My look, bottom line. I get no, no, no. I get what you're saying. I 100 percent And look, maybe maybe that's what it is. You know, you let's go back to something you guys have been talking about since the very beginning. Maybe Dracula is the big bad and everyone knows it. And some of these monsters are an attempt you know, or like, so Frankenstein's monster maybe was an attempt at a super soldier to try to stop him. That ended up blowing up in its face. Someone else maybe is like, well, I heard this urban myth that there's maybe a monster in this lagoon that we can like, maybe all these monsters are an attempt to stop another one. Again, I don't love it, but it, it that's a starting point, at least to, to try to, I, I, I agree I though. That. I just don't think that they should all be protagonists uh, against, or someone goes against 
the five of them. Yeah, I think I, them teaming up is very Batman 66. And I think that's just, the thing that gives me pause. Yeah. And just, just to be clear, I don't see them in some locker room with, you know, Frankenstein having taped up over this locker and Dracula over this locker. And they're just sort of toweling off. Yeah. That was a great battle that we, you know, I, I don't it's space thing. jam too. <laughs> space jam okay, two well, monsters attack. <laughs> I'm now starting to see something that you guys are, are talking about where, it, it reminds me of, okay, so if we have Dracula as the first movie and him sort of settling himself within the world as a threat, I guess, and uh, um, maybe the also including the Wolfman. Uh, now, the, is the Wolfman a curse that uh, was put upon them or is it a curse that he seeks out thinking – to beat Dra- to to be able to fight fight off Dracula, um, maybe Dracula's into his lady. I don't know. I'm just throwing out well, ideas that, there because if each yeah, if I, each character is a response to Dracula, let's say, I don't know that it, each I, movie I, is like that. I don't know. But even even that feels like Dracula. I mean, Dracula should be pretty secret. You know, everything that Dracula does is secretive, right? Like Dracula is okay. not like showing up on the steps of parliament in London being mm-hmm. like, now I am conquering you, you know? Um, I, I was wondering he if maybe he was doing that. I don't know. I, I that's It's hard where, to do stuff like that when you sleep 15 hours a day, though. Well, yeah. and also, like, and <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's point. the point where this movie starts to feel like Resident Evil, where it's like, we're going to take horror tropes and turn them into a post-apocalyptic dystopian action movie. And I, we can't great. do that. No? Okay. <laughs> Maybe we can. <laughs> well, I think all, all, what, I, we're, I, what we're all struggling against is trying to make a smart version of this because none of us have ever seen it. Yeah. And I think that's the heart. That's kind of the hard part. I mean, obviously, there's been great versions of Dracula, but I don't mm-hmm. think I've seen a truly intelligent one of any of these movies, frankly. And the one that I saw, the Frankenstein movie where they let him be smart. I was thinking also, I don't know why we wouldn't explore a little bit of smart Frankenstein in this, because mm-hmm. the Robert De Niro Frankenstein that was pretty smart. I think that's beautiful because it's like you never expect him to be smart. So you're constantly surprised by him. And somebody like that could get the drop on somebody like Dracula because you, they think he's just a dumb asshole when he's really the strongest. He's, he's like the Incredible Hulk. He might be the smartest one there is as well as the strongest. Just throwing that out there. Why we, we might not have to have dumb Frankenstein or not it's have to be dumb the whole time. This is a this is an interesting conversation, because even with what you just said, Ed, like you're still thinking about Frank, the Frankenstein monster as being some kind of a protagonist by ca- casting him in the Hulk role. Right. And and I guess maybe I'm just going to bring this up. I'm not pushing for anything. But if you look at every one of these stories in its purest form, there is at least one human character who is the hero. All of the monsters are the bad guys. In mm-hmm. the Dracula story, you have Jonathan Harker, Mina Harker, and Van Helsing all fighting Dracula. In Frankenstein, you have Dr. Frankenstein, who is a tragic hero, doomed by his own hubris, but it is his story. In The Wolfman... The, the cursed man is the hero and it's it's the Jekyll and Hyde thing where his alter ego is the villain mm-hmm. um, in the mummy. It's the explorers who are opening the tomb that are your hero. And then in the creature from the Black Lagoon, it's the girl who gets kidnapped and the guy who goes after her. So it's there's these 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 characters, I would say, almost don't work 
as heroes. They don't yeah, work as I, protagonists. No, I just want I just want to make it very clear though. You can be a protagonist without being a hero as well. And I just think the Frankenstein monsters and most of the best stories that I've read, he's not a hero or a protagonist, but he is he is what humanity and I think he should be what humanity would call a villain because he's a monster. But if, when you really think about it, he didn't do anything bad. He threw he, in some of the versions. He throws the little girl in the water because he thinks she's a daisy. He doesn't really understand that she's that she won't float like the daisies, that she doesn't know how to swim. So he kills a little girl and the villagers come after him. Most of the problems he does in most of the movies are more sympathetic than I would have him. Most of the, the stuff that I like is Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster, rather going you made me. You won't make me a mate. You think I'm a dumb asshole who's just part of your plan, but I'm my own person and I'm going to kill you. And we're going to have this fight on an ice flow. You know what I mean? I'm a, I have agency and I'm a monster, but I'm only a monster because you don't choose to let me be a person. You know what I mean? I, so I don't want him to be I don't want him to be like, oh, uh, you know, uh, my secret is I'm angry all the time and give him some hero moment. Not at all. But well, and, he's only a villain because he's not a person. Well, and I think he's only a villain because he's persecuted so much, right? I mean, if if they let Frankenstein live with them, he'd just be like cooking breakfast and like hanging out if he could. He'd probably have to get a job. You know what I mean? But he can't do that <laughs> because everybody wants to kill him the second they see him. And they're like, oh, get this gross, disgusting thing out of my face. And, uh, you know, that's that's, you know, how. Ugly but people but are even treated, if he, that's even how if, ugly people are treated. And <laughs> but even if he is a monster that kills people and stuff, he still can't integrate into society. So it doesn't really matter whether he's a good guy or a bad guy, even if he has murderous intent, even if he's a total psychopath who thinks that anybody who cuts him off in traffic. I don't know what medieval traffic he's getting into at the, around the palace gates, but he would be the type of person who would maybe throw you over a castle because you slighted him some kind of way. Because he's not a person. He's a monster, you know, I'm so I'm starting I, I to think that. we should have tried to do this where instead of doing the entire Universal Monsters, we should have done each movie. Uh, but let's uh, let's Picked a movie, because like I said, yeah. we seem to think like, that let's making do a movie mummy or Frankenstein. But let me, but I'm just let saying me we seem to think that making a movie out of any of these characters would be easy. And I, I posit that it isn't because people haven't been able to do it for 70 years. Is but all I would, I'm saying. My argument against that would be that. I think one of the reasons why that's the case is all of these stories are so well known at this point that just trying to retell the story is boring as hell. I mean, really, there's nothing about the Frankenstein story that you don't know. And there's nothing about the Dracula story that you don't know. And I would say there's nothing about the Wolfman story that you don't know. And the so other what thing. Is, oh, go, go ahead, ahead, Bell. Keep going. No, the other thing that's interesting, too, is like they're all linked by this very simple desire on all these characters parts for love. And again, I think the mummy is a little bit the outlier here. But like all of these characters, it's, it's what Ed was saying, like, I want to be loved. And because I'm a monster, the way that I go about looking for your love makes you horrified of me. And I didn't really mean it, but you're going to cast me out of society anyway, sort of a thing. Like so. They're all they're all kind of the same story is what I'm trying to point out. Right, right. So, OK, this is a half of a kernel of an idea, but it's at least trying to think of other angles. What if this is a movie? Now I'm taking it back to one movie. What if this is a movie and it's like a I don't know, 
a, a novelist, a journalist, it's someone. And all of these stories are exactly that. They're stories. They're stories of a guy who invented a, uh, his own monsters. They're stories of something living in the lagoon. There's even stories of a guy who can who turns into a werewolf. And that's why all those people are disappeared. And it's like someone trying to uncover that there are monsters in the world. Yes, I see I, the finger. I'm I'm sorry. I, I need to jump. I, I, what you're saying, yes to all that. The main characters are a group of women who are all being stalked by these monsters. And nobody believes them. And so they come together to try to prove what you're saying, that these monsters exist, and to help each other kill the monsters. What if you take, what if you take the object of their affections? You take Mina Harker and the little girl that Frankenstein wants to be friends with and the Wolfman's wife. And it's like you create your characters as a group of women who are all on the run from the monsters who a support group that <laughs> fights back. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, well, I, I, I like know, this. I like this. That's pretty interesting because it, it posit, these people are the only ones who believe each other. These people are the only ones who actually have the reason like, oh, yeah, well, I fought off my husband one time, took a bunch of holy water and a bunch of uh, punji sticks. and I dug a moat and stuff, but I got him off of me and then I had to move to Utah, you know, or whatever, you know, by the way, what was the most I mean, what was the most effective part of that Invisible Man movie? It was oh. the Elizabeth Moss character and her struggle and performance. Make the whole Universal Monster franchise hinge on that. <laughs> that's that's yeah. kind of where my brain was at. It's like maybe we're thinking about it from the wrong perspective. The mm -hmm. other way to me is a at least more interesting because I also like the idea of like, you know, the store. And I like the idea of like the story of these things exists, but what do they actually end up being like, you know, does the creature from the black lagoon, does it even look like the black lagoon, but that's the mm -hmm. story that we know, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I and, think, you know, where I'm trying yeah. to go with this. And, and, and also as a yes, and it, they don't all have to be female either. A couple of them definitely have to be, but they people people gather together because Batman broke their brother's hip. People gather together because uh, a drunk driver killed their family, frankly. So why wouldn't people try to find each other if they went through these things that nobody even believes? You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, so well, like I if if the if the creature from the Black Lagoon took my girlfriend under the water and they found her bloated and drowned a few days later. And you'd I, probably and be I on the them, run. You'd be on the run because right. they would think it was you. So one guy's trying to clear his name. Mm -hmm. One girl's trying to escape from, you know, the wolf man. Cause she's like, and they're like, Oh, so your boyfriend like beats you. Like he can't, I don't think he can help it. You know what I mean? Oh, like, I think guys. everyone has their own take of why these monsters are after them. And then, and then mm -hmm. at the end, they realize that they've got to get the monsters to fight each other. And then we have a giant <laughs> friggin' brawl at the end because the only way to have Dracula that's, killed that's is for called the that's called Hancocking him. a movie where you have hey. two thirds of a great movie and then you fart out the worst outcome possible. Hey, this is the best. And I don't, I don't I'm going to argue this. I think that I'm not going to argue it. I think it's great, but I don't care. Uh, but I do love that. This is ah, we're finally going somewhere, you guys. Uh, I feel like we achieved rebooted already, but let's keep going. Well, what, uh, this could be a multi-film franchise, by the way. Yeah. And and I'm almost there's almost shades of Old Guard that Charlize Theron Netflix movie, mm -hmm. where it's mm -hmm. like if your entry into it is who is the most recent victim, 
who has nowhere to turn. Nobody believes them. They're being stalked by this horrible supernatural evil. And by the way, Billy, I still love the idea that like these things aren't quite what you think they are because there's the, the stories of sort of metastasizing. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a great series of revelations as you go down the road of like the first actual encounter with the thing and how is it different and how is it the same as the legend. But the idea that like you start from who is the most recent victim and in their desperation, they end up falling in with, I don't know if it's an organized group or I don't know if you, if you want it to feel a little bit more, um, uh, I kind of the organized, yeah, the the organized group to me just is a pinch too like shieldy, which is what I didn't yeah, like yeah. about the mummy. Yeah, I yeah. do like the idea though of like, look, if I witness something and no one believes me except one person's like, hey, I I know everyone thinks you're crazy, but I had something similar too. That to me feels more personal. It feels more organic, and I like the idea that like. The whole world is almost against these people. Like, it's probably too cliche to do this. But I was even thinking, like, what if, like, you know, there's they're in therapy groups or one of them's even in like an insane asylum. Like, I have tried so hard to convince myself through therapy that what I witnessed wasn't true. And now you're coming saying maybe you saw the same thing or something similar to me. You know, I kind of feel like that's more that to me hits better than like, oh, Nick Fury came and told me that, yes, this is true. And now we have to get it. You know, yeah, I'm not trying to throw this off by anything, but it's crazy that the way you're taught what you guys are talking about is literally how conspiracy theories start. (laughs) <laughs> it, it, literally that's exactly relevant, by the way that's exactly well and and mm-hmm. i'm now i'm i'm actually throwing in that this could this whole movie could be a metaphor about about conspiracy theories um and and they're the danger well, i think, I think bill hit it on the head the uh, earlier about talking about planetary and stuff it the secret cryptography people think of like oh i'm gonna go hunt bigfoot no what if bigfoot killed people every fortnight it would be it would have a different you know feel to trying to find bigfoot what if yeah. bigfoot was was older than time and secretly the possessor of most politicians you know because he's been alive for millennia that would be a different thing than ooh loch ness monster you know what i mean what if loch ness monster was ahead of the freaking illuminati and raising an undead army it would be it would hit different is what i'm saying yeah. so yeah i i think uh uh, yeah, the, the hidden history of the world is something I love to explore. I think that's yeah. great. Is this set in the modern day or is this in uh, a more antique time? Um, I'm voting modern, but that's up to I, I'm also. I, I also vote modern. I think one of the great things about uh, the Invisible Man was that they took the concept of Invisible Man and updated it to something that makes more sense. Like for me. I definitely think if you're going to build dead, uh, you know, a body based off of dead other people's dead body parts, like to me, it's it's, you know, Frankenstein maybe becomes even more like technological. It becomes more robotic, more AI than maybe what, you know, the the old version is. But I think definitely updating those updating those kind of stories. But also, too, it's like I just love the idea of like. If someone was like, draw me what you think Frankenstein's monster looks like based on the stories and you show it and it looks just like the Frankenstein we know. And then we see the 
the actual monster. And it's like, I love the idea of like how history and how the game of telephone changes the perspective so that when we see it like, oh, I can kind of see where maybe that got exaggerated or that just wasn't there at all. Someone added that detail. But this is what we're talking about. And I kind of love that idea of like, you know, what would a realistic Frankenstein's monster look like in 2020 if you found out that, oh, did you know that's not just a story someone wrote? Like, that's a real thing. I think I think part of that that becomes something for us to discuss is Frankenstein and Creature from the Black Lagoon are extraordinarily sci-fi concepts within their horror. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Dracula, Wolfman, and the Mummy are extraordinarily magic. Yeah. And so, if there's one thing that it becomes hard to reconcile with, like what are we, you know, looking at the truth behind the legend of it all? How much? magic are we willing to allow how much that's an ed greer question ed how much magic will you allow us to use um okay well uh dracula is the product of 18th century super soldier experiments and uh no, I, <laughs> hey by the way <laughs> nazi super soldier dracula i'm down Dude, with but that's what i'm saying like little stuff like like there are scientific reasonings for these things that we don't understand and it doesn't help them not be monsters. It doesn't help them not be scary to us. It doesn't demystify anything about them. Once we find out that you're a technological marvel rather than a weird arcane lightning struck you thing, that doesn't make you less scary when you're throwing a Volkswagen through my door. I think that's what I was trying to get across with the Frankenstein's monster thing is like, it's more believable to me if like half of it is, yeah, the brain's dead. So the brain is actually an advanced AI in his head you know what i mean like there are reasons that we could maybe stretch your imagination but it it's like okay i'll i'll buy that for the sake of this the mummy is the only one where i'm like we'd have to we'd have to figure out some way to reconcile that well so billy what do you see as being the like if if frankenstein was just sort of a weird genetic like cyborg experiment right why What's the what's the rationale behind Dr. Frankenstein? Is it the same story then? I, I don't know. To me, like I always thought that the the Frankenstein's monster, you know, could have been more personal. Um, I, I, you're going to laugh. But that's what I always kind of loved about Frank and Weenie was that like it's this Dude. kid's dog. It's Dude. like he has a connection to it. So why wouldn't Frankenstein be trying to build his dead son, his dead brother? Why would it not be a character that he already like loves and knows that he's trying to bring back? You know, Dude, oh, yeah. just a yes and that just real quick. I think that it's it would be a perfect way to gender swap and have like maybe Dr. Frankenstein himself was a big old oaf of a man and he dies in the middle of trying to make some super soldier bionic whatever experiment and his wife can't take that he's dead and is and is like Marie Curie and her husband I know her not her other damn husband because she's a scientist right so she's a scientist he's a scientist her scientist husband dies she takes some of his old notes looks with her own research rebuilds him imperfectly and maybe dies for her trouble. And maybe he's like mad that like, I killed my wife. I got to rebuild it. I, now I don't know how to do it. And that's one of like an internal quest that he has. I don't know. I don't know. Just like, well, emotionally. I think if you, if you do that, then his wife could absolutely be part of this group of survivors, whoever, you know, however they end up becoming where it's like, 
she's the first, she's the one who has answers, right? Like she's sort of yeah. the mentor figure. Mm-hmm. Like she and just barely gets away and she's scarred. She's the half man, as they say oh, in, the, yeah. in the screen, like screenplay stuff. She's the half man, the one scarred from this arcane world. Okay. Loving it. Loving it. Also okay. then if you're saying that the, the monster, what that she rebuilds has some of like the actual Dr. Frankenstein's intelligence and personality left. He could, in like a weird, you know, third clone and multiplicity sort of way, come up with the idea of resurrecting other people or things in his life. Like he could create the Wolfman. You know what I mean? I mean, you like had he- me at multiplicity, Bill. So maybe what we're talking about here is a chain of events where like the Frankenstein research comes from Dracula, who really was like a Nazi science experiment or a 1920s science experiment gone wrong. And he escaped into the hills of Bavaria. And then that research is preserved and Dr. Frankenstein uses it to try to create new life. And he dies, his wife resurrects him. And then that monster tries to do his own thing. But because he's so screwed up in the head, like he creates the wolf man. Oh, and I think one of the failed experiments is definitely the creature from the Black Lagoon. And they threw it into the lagoon thinking it was dead and it is not dead. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. And honestly, I mean. I've, I've always liked this. Maybe the, the curse of the mummy is the one bit of actual magic in this story that maybe that's what like, maybe that's your third act thing is suddenly there is an almost Lovecraftian, like the dead rise. Well, this could also, it could go with what you, what this whole thing is, which is messing with things you shouldn't be messing with. Right. And maybe the survivors think, well, the only way to battle these technological you know, freaks is to use magic. And so they, they actually seek out something to do that and accidentally release the mummy. And then it I don't, really yeah, fires I, on them. I don't hate that. I, I don't hate that. Maybe one of the people that they come across is like, we could try to fight fire with fire and it ends up, you know, the maybe mummy. the group is like because the, to me this. the mummy like, was the mess with this. the mummy like, was always the monster that was like almost indiscriminate it was like yeah. i don't care if you're the good guy or the bad guy i am beyond that you know yeah that's what i always loved about that is it's it's almost it's more of a force of nature right like the mummy is just the personification of what ron's talking about of like trespassing where you do not belong messing with things you don't understand Dude, but but also also one thing just to i i don't want to make it science but there's been so many things posited about how ahead of us and ahead of many different people the aztecs and the egyptians were and certain racists i'll use the r word say that it's aliens i'm not saying it's aliens i'm saying racists say that it's aliens i am just merely positing that perhaps some scientists from way back in the days made the very first proto version of all of these monsters that we're talking about will save the lagoon guy and the wolfman. Most of these deal with the other side dying, being able to preserve yourself after you're dead, being able to resurrect dead bodies. What the hell is mummy crap about? The same thing, taking your wealth with you, being able to rise from the dead to avenge your stuff. I have no problem thinking that some sort of arcane science that that is like unto magic, especially for those ancient people who made it up. Some some part of the people who are digging up these other things uh, are using, you know, some weird version of mummy technology. And that's why it gets better and better over time. Look, I'll just allow that just because it makes Ed feel less uncomfortable with magic. I I actually really like that idea. Like not even not even playing. I really like the idea that's like, yeah, maybe this all started with the Egyptians 
trying to outsmart death with everything that they knew at the time. And that's, that's how, fine. because it actually does connect like beautifully. Like the, I'm, I'm the, Nazis, I'm the reiterator. Yeah. It connects beautifully to everything <laughs> you just said. Um, yeah. And I, the only, the only caveat I would have is I, I want to make sure, like, I just want to make sure that the first movie that we're talking about here is not some globe trotting adventure. Because no. I think that that's where you, you know, trying to turn these movies into like fun adventure romps misses a lot of that personal horror that we were talking about that I think is inherent in the idea of like a group of survivors. And oh my God, what was I, what was I the target of? I don't even know. It was something too horrible. So to we don't, in. so we don't go to Egypt. That's the only thing we got to change. Or when the mummy comes back, he comes out of a museum or something. I don't know. Or some sacred place where people. I mean, I, I, I'm stuff. kind of, I kind of feel like a little bit more in line with what you're saying, Bill is like, if we're trying to plan out that maybe this is, you know, it expands to more movies, but this first one, I almost want to sell on the idea of like, are these people even like, is this real? Like, are they, yeah. did that really happen to them? Are these things they're talking about really real? And as an audience member, you know, we're really trying to figure out like what did attack them. And then we realize like, Oh, like I know these monsters. And, and by the end of the first movie, now we're ready to step into kind of like maybe the bigger mythology of all of this. There's an interesting structure to be had where if your main character, they kind of did this in the Tim Burton Sleepy Hollow movie with the Johnny Depp character, where if your main character is an investigator of some kind, that's an easy route to start putting these survivors in the same place. And especially if at the end of act one, your skeptical investigator has an encounter with one of these creatures. And then it becomes, I mean, the whole first movie could be, I just need to try to escape and like, I realize that these stories that I'm hearing are real and I need to put, make some sense of it. Then you get into a movie two or a movie three where this bigger mythology of like the quest to destroy death becomes the overriding story. Mm. But I think you start it in that small way of like, there are survivors of horrible, inexplicable things. Can we explain them? And where does that lead us? Mm -hmm. I mean, we yeah. basically just repitched a version of the X Files, which I'm a hundred percent on board dude. with. <laughs> dude. But but that's I, I think that's interesting because, like what you said though, let's say, what if Scully, for lack of a better word, Scully goes on a case, and it just gets so weird that she can't even work for the X Files anymore. Like the X Files are literally dedicated to wrapping up loose ends, but as soon as she finds a really loose end, they go, "Bitch, you are crazy." get the hell out of here and now she's got all these resources all this intelligence but she's the crazy one and now she's now we don't have her having to report back to the damn fbi or none of that crap she's a lone crazy person like jack mcgee the guy who used to uh uh trail the hulk across the country in the old incredible hulk series just a real yeah. true believer oh, but i think you treat this with the reverence of a true detective i think yes, you, yes. you mm, the tone yeah. is true detective where it's like the fact that these monsters exist is almost like like almost the twist in a weird way where it's just like <laughs> wow this this felt so guttural this felt so like you know we've used prisoners as an example already but kind of that feel that true detective that prisoners that true like gross crime and then you find out like whoa this isn't just like uh, a serial killer this is like a true literal monster i just have in that vein billy i have to pitch a character it's like 
the sister of the girl who was drowned by Frankenstein, but she's like 55 and like has PTSD. Totally. And like that's one of the characters that you meet. In I the love that movie. so Hardcore. much. Yeah. yeah, yeah I love yeah. the idea that like we recently did an interview with a, a an author I really like uh, who in his books, he tells the, the, the storytellers are within the actual book telling a different story. That's part of the book. I know that sounds crazy, but that's kind of what we're doing here is each each character is telling their story through the detective kind of right yeah which is a little bit of what they did in true detective like with the time jumping of it all you know mm -hmm. it's, yeah you're you're sort of getting it's a little bit rashomon like i don't think it should be as i don't think it should be as framed as rashomon where it's like technically the entire movie is happening in the interrogation room and you're just getting nothing but flashbacks as the people are talking yeah i don't like that structure because it feels too safe it feels like, all right, yeah, yeah. well, at the end of the day, I know everybody gets out of it because they all end up in the interrogation room. And the only twist is who's telling the truth. Exactly. Like, don't do that. Yeah. Right. But you can have elements of it. Yeah. And also, I, I would say also there's um, the Wolfman's wife. I would like to pitch her as a character where yeah. like there are just and this is just one dumb thing I thought of that might be able to happen to her. Like, what if she got committed because she just felt like, look, I am never going to be safe. And I also think there's one thing about the werewolf, the wolfman. I think the wolfman kills everybody to get to his wife. I think he can smell her on the wind, you know what I mean, type of thing. And he has this preternatural gift to get to her. But it isn't. But he's always just short of killing her because there maybe there's some part of him, not like a hero stopping him from doing it. But there's some part of him doesn't want to do it. But he always gets to her and her in the meeting with the guys explaining. And then she's like, well, can you give me a ride to the bus stop? And then the werewolf attacks them. And it's just <laughs> very clear that one of them's real, at least. This even bitch more, ain't lying. Yes, yes to all that. And even more horrific, she has absolutely no relationship to the werewolf. Just in the werewolf's mind, he just mm. targeted this. Like, it's just total happenstance in very slasher movie sort of way. This horrible creature has just become obsessed with this woman for nothing she did. I kind of like it's it, that's like the one part of Joker that I actually thought was effective was that he made up that relationship in his mind. And I oh, love yeah. if you, you take that element for the I, I, I agree. That's a great change. I agree with that. I think that's cool dope. and scary. All right. So Very. let's start. Let's get into casting here, because I, I think we've kind of have we have a, a an investigator. We have, you know, the woman who's been haunted by her sister being killed by Frankenstein. We have the woman who's being hunted by the Wolfman. Um, we need to have some sort of survivor of Dracula. And maybe it is like an old Mina Harker or an old Jonathan Harker or an old. Uh, who was his who was his familiar? Um, oh, dude, Ren, Renfro at the Renfield, Renfield. Renfield. Dude, yes. I, OK, I got a piss for Renfield. Renfield. I read a lot for Dracula for some reason. And one of the things Dracula says to Renfield is. And one of the conceptions of it, he says to Renfield, you will live as I live. You will live as long as I live for my blood is within you. And my 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 curse is your curse and my gifts are your are your gifts to a certain extent. Some, some crap like that. So basically he kept Renfield alive in an inordinate amount of time. And that's why that dude is crazy as hell. This this dude Renfield says he was born in 1875. All right, dog, whatever. And he's got all these sores all over his skin and he doesn't like sunlight. Okay, whatever. 
because he's half of he's he's not another thing that the most common new conceptions of dracula is when he bites you you become more or less a zombie you're a piece of crap you never get to be a beautiful glitter god that flies in the sky romances bella you never get that you're a dumb zombie and i'm a superhuman being that gets to keep my own mind that's the difference between Dracula and the rank and file vampires and the rest of the people who get bit like Renfield, like all his familiars well, throughout history or whatever. Again, if, if Dracula is a failed Nazi experiment to cheat death, then oh, that's true. That's true. But, but no, I think everything you're saying could be, could be real. Like within him, he has some sort of pathogen that zombifies people and mm-hmm. he, he's a cannibal. He just eats people. Mm-hmm. Like it's not about mm-hmm. being beautiful and drinking blood. It's mm-hmm. just, he is a, he is a Nazi asshole who is a cannibal yeah 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 it's, it's not it's not beautiful like sucking blood it's right. horrific like being a super zombie i love that too and the history books such as they are would romanticize it or something but it's not romantic it's really horrible and he's a nazi for christ's sake that's crazy <laughs> All right, so should we do a little casting? I mean, we, we could talk about the monsters themselves, although it sounds like most of them are going to be under some heavy prosthetics. Um, yeah. But we've got the investigator. We've got uh, the survivor of Frankenstein. We've got the woman being stalked by the wolfman. We've got uh, an old Renfield who is some sort of weird half-creature uh, that Dracula's left behind. We could also have the guy whose woman was stolen by the tre- creature from the Black Lagoon if we want to go there. Um, but who are these kind of mot- who's this motley crew of, of victims uh, that we're going to piece mm. through in that true detective way? And then who's the person doing the piecing? I think it'd be good for us to determine, like, who would be the investigator and which one of these characters who might make the star of the movie. Or- hey, you guys, do you hear that uh, buzzing? Uh, I- uh, we, uh, guys, we almost uh, made it through. I think Bill's pretending that his Zoom doesn't even work, so he doesn't have to listen to John Peters. <laughs> Gentlemen, hello. Happy spooky day. Trademark John Peters. <laughs> I've given you the impossible task. There have already been so many great movies made. I don't know what else there is to do with these characters. And all I can tell you is this. No matter what you do with any of these other monsters, I need a super sexy bride of Frankenstein. I'm talking tattered clothes, big bosoms, nice hips. You know, a Peter's type. You know what I mean. Yeah. So all the other monsters can be horrible blood-sucking fiends. I don't care. But the bride of Frankenstein needs to get it up. You know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm laying down here? Yes, we do. It means I want to be aroused. (laughs) Take care of that for me. And then uh, send me the dailies because I'll need them for my private collection. Goodbye. (laughs) I think we have a potential lawsuit on our hands here. Uh, Um, uh, So the question then becomes, okay, I really like the the story that we came up for for dr frankenstein's wife kind of rebuilding him yeah. why would she build him a wife <laughs> unless she like kills herself and she's like i want to be half dead and stupid too i don't this i don't know why she would build him a companion that's not her no uh, but i think i think we're thinking about it wrong i think i think frankenstein draws that as a picture 
of what he wants to make his wife into since he's a monster and his thought process is so strange. He's like, baby, I'm glad I found you again. We can be together. All we got to do is make some subtle modifications. Look at this drawing I did. And he shows this grotesque, weird, big head, big boobs, ripped up She-Hulk looking monster thing. Look, babe, you can be like this. And she's like, no, I'm not going to let you rip my arms off to make me, you know, Evangeline Lilly or whoever you think is hot. I mean, that's a good I mean, in a weird way, that's kind of a good reason why she would also like if she creates him and then she barely escapes. That's you know, that's why he keeps coming after her is because like you did this to me. I want us to be together. You have to come to my level, essentially. He has like some weird obsession with perfecting her. Yeah, and, but like yeah. it's it's really horrible to make right. him that does as also perfect, mean uh, to make sexy, her as perfect as him. Yeah, but the sexy woman then only exists in a drawing on paper. I don't know if Peters is going to like that. Well, he, he doesn't we, watch these movies. He hey, doesn't Ar- watch them. He asked for the dailies. He asked Ar- to watch the dailies. <laughs> yeah, arguably, I have an idea where that that could be taken care of. In oh, the, I have an idea. In but his go head. ahead, Ron. No, I was gonna. I was gonna say AI, what if right. Well, what if what if he does it to a victim? What if he's like, I can oh. I can make you into this. And it's this beautiful, buxom young woman, because that's what we have to do. But kind of like I'm thinking more like that scene in Batman 89, where he shows Vicky Vale at the museum and takes off the, the mask of Alicia, <laughs> the girlfriend, and she's mutilated. He does that to another girl to be like, look, I it's not perfect. I don't have it done yet, but this is what I'm thinking. Essentially. It's just a sketch. Really? <laughs> I'm that a fully homicidal artist. No, you know what though? That could be the opening of the movie. Like that woman feels like she's being stalked or whatever. She could be the one who initially gets in touch with our investigator. Right. And he, when she gets killed or mutilated in this horrific way, that spins our investigator off being like, what is happening? Like, what is this? That's great. And it's like this new serial killer who's like mutilating people and leaving the, yeah, very Silence of the Lambs-esque, you know? And at the beginning, it can almost look like it's not a monster. It could look like just a, a horrible serial killer crazy person. Well, yeah, it's just this woman who feels like she's being stalked. And then when you find her body because she's been killed, it's just it's it's like stitched together with other pieces of body parts and weird mechanical things, whatever. Like it's Frankenstein esque, but there's no indication of like horror movie monster just yet, because that's the first kill. That's the first act of the movie. I like 100 percent. Yeah, that's 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 great. Um, I was also thinking of making we got to cast a 55 year old woman as the sister of that one lady. But I'd just like to throw out Aaliyah Shawkat as um, the investigator person. I saw her on Search Party. I saw her on a on search party and in that whole series, she's trying to find out some mystery, but she's just some regular gal. And I would just love to see what she would do with actual like a little bit more sculliness, a little bit more FBI imprinted onto that sort of millennial cool gal persona that she has. I just think she's great and she can carry a movie and she hasn't been given a chance. And damn it, I want to be part of giving her one. I'm I, that's I support that. I love I love her, but I feel like just her whole sort of comedy persona cuts against the grain of the true detective sort of ultra gritty 
yeah. feeling that we're going for. I'm telling you, man, it's our, it's Michael Keaton Batman casting. I just want her in the room. Give her a pool cue, pool cue and let her fight against these buxom blondes that Peters is going to make us bring in. All right. That's that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Sometimes those those comedy to drama transitions are just what the doctor ordered. So I'm not going to rule it out. And she doesn't seem particularly heroic. That is my main thing, because one of the main things that is wrong with all of these movies, they always have some lantern jawed jerk be the person who's going to right every wrong. And in real life, if there's a lot of women a lot of minority women, you know, solving a lot of stuff for us. And we give all the credit to some lantern jawed guy from a Disney movie. And I just want to subvert that. But yeah, I also like to put forth uh, Alicia Vikander as uh, our Scully as well, because she does have that edge that I think you might be looking for from performances like in uh, Ex Machina and stuff. She's got and, uh, and Tomb Raider. She's got a little bit of an edge, but she reads as young and inexperienced as well. Yeah, I, I I totally feel that. I I it's weird. I'm I'm with you 100% on the investigator being a woman. I would love to find somebody who combines the qualities of Alia Shawkat and Alicia Vikander, where mm-hmm. has sort of the edge and the presence of an Alicia Vikander, but with the weirdness and the quirkiness of Alia Shawkat. I don't know who that is, but it's like yeah, you're you're circling a type. Oh oh, my my third one is Aubrey Plaza, who I think does that too. Ooh. Like she Ooh. does the little bit of like you would never believe that Aubrey Plaza believed that there were damn vampires and crap. I don't think. I think it'd be more like you guys are dumb. This is dumb. How about Kristen Ritter? I don't know if Kristen Ritter carries a movie, but I I see where you're coming from with that. Yeah. Hmm. I like Christian Ritter okay in regards to getting in the room. I, I think she might get get ate up uh, in the room, but I, I wouldn't be uh, super opposed to putting her in the room. Who who was the one that played opposite Andy Samberg in um, in the the movie everyone was talking about all summer? Uh, oh, uh, Christina uh, Milotti. Yeah, um, she's an interesting choice. I always feel like she kind of has the look. At least when we were talking about it, that's kind of the look that I had in my mind was I believe that she's experienced, but also inexperienced at the exact same time. She mm-hmm. may be too doe-eyed for some taste, but I think she could be good. And she oh, oh I got one. I got one outside the box, uh, not outside the box for any good reason. But uh, Dana Garay, I, I, I can never. Oh, from her uh, Walking Dead oh, and, and Okoye. Now, yeah. yeah, because she's got a little bit of the experience of like, I've been in the FBI for probably 15, 20 years. And you guys throw me away because I tell you something you don't want to hear. Screw you. I'm going to make my own thing. I can see that in her face. I can feel that in her bones that she would do that, that she would have the fortitude to do that. And I totally buy her as an FBI, FBI agent. <laughs> I, I really buy her as somebody of authority or e- even a cop of authority type person and a person who takes her authority with her, even if she gets fired. Yeah. I could see her. I, I kind of like that more than anything I've said, actually. And well, plus, so then- people don't think that black people like any of this crap. <laughs> and they think that we're very in- incredulous as far as all this stuff. So it would take a lot to convince this black woman that there's a bunch of damn monsters around. Well, and I think then the question becomes, um, who is who is the woman then being stalked by the wolf man that could be like the person, like after this initial Frankenstein murder happens, I think it almost becomes a two-hander between Denai Guerrera 
and and whoever that woman is being stalked mm-hmm. by the wolf man mm-hmm. as they go down this rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why Lizzie Kaplan is a is an actress that I like who I think uh, she was she was um, the co-lead in Masters of Sex. She's been in a lot of things. Um, but I think I like her if she's the one I'm thinking about. She's got a great combination of like, you believe that she both would be like, I think she could play the scary wide eyed, like, oh, my God, what is happening to me? But also has a like you would believe that she could get away and stay away from the Wolfman if she was so inclined. Oh, and also the one last thing she this Wolfman lady Hmm. is Sarah Connor. I'm not mm-hmm. saying as far as muscles and everything, but she's traumatized. She's born again hard. She lives in a new place every two weeks. You know, she she knows the lunar cycle like the back of her hand. There's a lot of stuff that she'd have to, you know, figure out to even stay alive. And she, her is a hard woman. That's got to be part of her character. And that's maybe why she gets along with the FBI agent so much. I, I definitely agree with that. And so maybe I'm going to walk my Lizzie Kaplan back because I don't know if she plays as that. But I do think that the other piece of the Sarah Connor of it all is it is more Sarah Connor at the end of the original Terminator than yes, in yes. Terminator 2. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Um, interesting. Maybe like an Eliza Dushku. She could, I don't know if she's a big enough name, though. Yeah. I, I also think, I, mean, I think she'd be all right. I, she also has. Like the other piece of the Sarah Connor that I just want to temper what Ed was saying with Mm. is that she very much is like the girl next door. She very Mm. much is just like unassuming woman who would have been working as an accountant before all this crap happened to her. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's the only like, I don't know if Eliza Dushku has that quality, uh, but maybe. How about Michelle Rodriguez? She's just the tiniest bit too tough. She's hardcore. Yeah, I, I don't think I would uh, I would believe that obviously she's in danger from a superhuman wolf monster, but I don't think that I would feel the danger as much as, you know, I think that's one reason why Elizabeth Moth, Moss works so good. It's like she's great and I can see her being strong, but her having to deal with what she has to deal with in that movie, it seems so overwhelming that when she does it, you get a good payoff and satisfaction. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to jump around a little bit for... Um, for the Mrs. Frankenstein, who's sort of the, the half man, um, you know, mentor character in the movie that has a lot of the information. Um, her name is flying right out of my head. But from the first season of The Boys, the um, the uh, the executive with Vaught. Oh, uh, Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth Shue from Adventures yeah. Babysitting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She could be she could be the uh, the on the run from the monster, Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah, maybe a little bit young, but also has a buxom quality. That I guess that was the that was the question I was going to ask, like how old and because in my mind, I was I was skewing like Glenn Close. Like I was I was getting older, but I can. I mean, if Glenn Close wants to do our movie. Well, but as who the 55 year old lady that is traumatized by her sister dying or the woman who's running from. No, I was saying I'm, I'm she was the one. Ones. She was she was the one that turned her husband. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Into yeah, Frankenstein's mean, monster. I was thinking older, but 
I, I'm I fine would, with that. I would love having more than one older actress in this movie, so-called mm-hmm. older. Mm-hmm. I would love for us to be leading that charge. So yes, I, I you know, Glenn and Glenn Close can deliver all that. That I think Glenn Close's character is going to get murdered horrifically as well. So I think we would give her a nice Robert Shaw scene of getting murdered after. Oh, to, dude, because she has to pay I, for her crime. Quint, you are. We have to cast a female Quint. I think you're dead on with that. Um, and which Glenn Close could absolutely do, but now that just totally changes my uh, calculus of who I would want in that role. Who's who's a female Quint? Hmm. And because uh, like, there's so many. It, it's it's hard again. And this is a testament to how hard it is to remain uh, a woman actress or a woman actor and still yeah. be you know considered for all these things. I mean, honestly, if we could get somebody even like uh, Andy McDowell. Freaking! Um, I like mini her. Driver. Mini driver, somebody that looks like they have they could be a scientist lady, you know, or even even somebody like I mean, Nicole Kidman looks and has a weird aura. I could see her being a weird bad person. Honestly, how about <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter. Oh. Too weird for my tastes. But, it might uh, be on the nose, but I could see her big doe eyes in the lab making stuff. That that you know. I uh, see that. To me, that that personally, I feel like she's so Burton now that it, that would feel <laughs> hat on a hat at that point. <laughs> Sombrero on a fedora, <laughs> on a, with a ball cap twisted to the back. <laughs> on top of it. I mean, you could also go. You could also go more. Um, who was the woman in Hollywood? They're, the Netflix series Hollywood. They're, the woman who plays the casting director. She's a very venerable older actress. It might even be Vanessa Redgrave. Um, I, I, damn, I don't know why I can't come up with her name. But I'm just thinking, like, if you want to go, like, woman in her 70s, um, you know, bring bringing back a yeah. kind of a screen icon in in her twilight years that's a way to go with the dr frankenstein role as well well then we just get judy dench we just say look here's the truck full of money come bring some gravitas to our monster movie it's not a bad idea well judy dench glenn close uh, uh vanessa, vanessa redgrave all in a room with the pool cues fighting it out i think that'd be fine oh that's that's a pay-per-view event my friend that's ufc 450 right there <laughs> um mm-hmm. this just came to mind too as as the woman haunted by the frankenstein encounter when she was younger um jolie richardson who was just in the color out of space as nicholas cage's wife um she was also the wife on nip tuck for a long time she is a phenomenal actress and has that very kind of haunted, hollow look to her that I think could be amazing. Oh, I've kind yeah. of a, I know who you're talking about. I have kind of a weird pick, but probably because she played a very similar kind of character earlier in her career. What about Bonnie Hunt as the sister of of this person because i'm thinking of her role in jumanji when she was just like i am yeah. a traumatized adult from a traumatizing childhood thing and definitely now i could see her playing that role of like i've spent a lifetime trying to either ignore this or get the truth to this 
I mean, I think, I think that works. And if then, if, if that woman is Bonnie Hunt, then I think your Dr. Frankenstein has to be like a Vanessa Redgrave, like a, a woman in her seventies or eighties, because the, if, if that, if the traumatized woman's sister was killed by Frankenstein and she was old enough to see it, then yeah. you know what I mean? Like Dr. Frankenstein right. would have had to have I, been an But adult. to me, it makes it, the reason why it makes more sense to have someone like in their seventies or whatever to be Frankenstein's wife is it makes more sense for, for Frankenstein to want to modify her to be younger and, and more buxom is because oh. she's old, you know? Totally. Oh, and I then mean, she could take that as such a diss. Oh, that's I mean, it's awesome. just such like it's such a it's such a meta commentary on how we so shittily treat women in Hollywood as they age anyway. You know, honestly, I think that's what this whole movie is, is like all of these persecutions and the things that these women are going through are all metaphors for like misogyny. Right. Like this this movie yeah. is in a weird way, kind of like a female exploitation movie just with more gravitas than being like, you know, mm-hmm. a hack 1970s exploitation. And also, and, and to just and that, so let's cast the guy who ran into the, the Loch Ness Monster, the Loch Ness Monster stole his girlfriend or whatever, because I think him being like a Ed Asner in the room with these gals talking about all their trauma and just like, man, I'm on the run or whatever. I don't know, but this this a guy, a guy energy, like putting a guy energy in there would give us some crackling scenes in between all the action to me. I think it would have to be a younger guy just to fit in with like the Denai Guerrera. You oh know. yeah, no, I, I said Ed Asner as far as energy, not, not, ah, uh, not so I've energy. never heard Ed Asner used as like, you know, a guy's guy like uh, Mel Gibson or Ed Asner. <laughs> like, what a weird, what a weird poll, man. And I, and I was gonna say Craig T. Nelson. So I don't know. I, dear God, how old are we? What a weird poll. Oh, the guy's guy like Ted Danson. That's yeah. a young man with a head full of hair. That's natural. Hmm. You know, like Magnum P.I. <laughs> hmm. uh, all right. Who's okay? Who's gr- Tom Selleck. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Who's the man's man whose girlfriend got stolen by the creature from the black? I was movie? actually thinking of Liam Hemsworth, maybe like someone who I because I think part of what would make that so interesting is that it looks like a guy who probably would beat himself up that he couldn't defend his woman from being taken. And here he is, you know, cut and gorgeous looking, but completely helpless. I think that's yeah. that's kind of the so the, the rock, and, and say so, but like but seeking. I love that part about seeking to like, and maybe that's probably why he dies in the movie. Is he dies trying to save one of these ladies in some bullcrap chauvinist display of whatever? But at the same time, he's trying to make up for the fact of the woman that he didn't save. So he earns his death, but maybe he didn't need to die because he was just so male about it. But we give him his shot to do his thing and try to make up for his, you know what I mean? And uh, and somebody in this mug got to die besides old ladies to show that this world is dangerous as hell. So I would love, yeah, young, like maybe he was a military operator or something. Because that's the funny thing. He's like a Navy SEAL and an aquatic dude stole this woman. Well, and I, I would I argue like that I, it's I, hardcore. And I would argue that like a lot of these people's family members are going to die because if these people are stalking them, they're going to track them down by fan, finding family or friends and et cetera, et cetera. So close people close to them are dying and they have to figure out a way to get it to stop. And it, it also gives them a reason. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think there's going to be a lot of collateral damage in the form of like police. And yeah, I, I mean, to your point, Ron, I think you want it to also be people that feel important to the main cast. Exactly. But yeah, this is, I see this as very like gloves are off. Like people are dying horribly all throughout mm -hmm. this whole series. So, so let's say, let's say a Hemsworth brother or Ryan Gosling, somebody that we could put on the poster that gets yanked out from under the audience. And they're just like, what? Yeah. That's pull a psycho where, yeah. you know, Tippy Hedren dies in the first 20 minutes. <laughs> Spoiler to psycho, I guess. <laughs> no, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's it. So who are we thinking about directors? Oh man. This is so that's the big question is, uh, it seems like just because we're, you know, we've talked about expanding this, but it, uh, we're just talking about this first mm -hmm. true detective chapter, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if it goes well, then you give that person the next movie. And if not, then we pick somebody else. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, this is a tightrope walk of tone because it's like, it's very much true detective horror crime, but there's elements of sci-fi as we start to unspool some of these backstories. And mm -hmm. then there's also the female empowerment angle where it's like, this has to be very sensitive to all these female leads and their various plights and troubles. Um, who was the woman who directed You Were Never Really There with Joaquin Phoenix? Um, damn. Oh. All right, let, let's put her on the short list. Who else? Because I'm going to throw Catherine Bigelow on there just because she deserves to be on all lists of any movie with any action. Uh, she, she won't do it. But I would I would uh, put her in the room. Lynn Ramsey. Lynn Ramsey. This is her movie. She does brutal, uncompromising, you know, action horror type scenes. That that movie you were never really here is the tone that we were talking about for this movie. I'm I'm getting all I'm getting all in on her. Yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll see your bet. And I don't know poker, so Ron, help me. How do I agree with Bill using poker terms? I match it. Yes, I double down. Hand, and we all win. <laughs> you, you, chop the, you chop the pot. Right. And, and I'll do my normal thing, just like uh, Ron throws in Tom Holland all the time. I'm going to throw Nina DaCosta into everything until she gets, until she gets her, her due. Although, after Candyman, she just got some huge movie. Like some like DC superhero type movie. Nia DaCosta just got Nia DaCosta just got that. So maybe she won't need the Universal Monsters, but yeah. I I, I like Lynn Ramsey. What was Nia DaCosta's first movie? What did, where did uh, she get Candyman it, off of? Ah, uh, it's uh Little Woods. Little Woods oh. and some other stuff. And Little Woods had Tessa Thompson in it, and it has two women who are basically having to be drug dealers to save their lives, basically. And uh, I, and, and all the stuff that falls out with two women trying to do a crime thing. Interesting. Yeah, I did so make I, a I like huge mistake in not uh, saying Jensen Ackles should be part uh, of this. Uh, I think he's obviously <laughs> he can Dracula. be in the prosthetics of the creature from the Black Lagoon. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Sure. <laughs> I want yeah. him to do his voice. Ah! <laughs> he plays Frankenstein, yeah. like the monster. <laughs> Right. And, and I, I say we leave off casting the creature for the Black Lagoon until the next movie because we don't really get to know his whole story in this one. Comedy yeah, I think you, you almost feel like Gollum in the first Lord of the Rings where you don't 100% see it until later. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. I, I think that applies to all these characters. I mean, I, I don't even know if you meet Dracula in this first movie. 
um, who would probably mm-hmm. be our most human looking character, but I still see him as having crazy prosthetics like like Gary Oldman, ironically enough, in <laughs> the in Hannibal, where he played oh, the guy yeah, whose totally. face got ripped off. Yeah. It's like that's how I see our Dracula, this horrible science experiment gone cannibal. That's how I see him playing. Yeah. Hardcore. Yeah. So yeah, well that that'll be something for them to tune in for the sequel. Maybe maybe in a new uh, a reboot of season four, <laughs> we'll do the sequel. All right. Well, guys, despite the fact that I don't think any of you thought we would get to this point, no. I always had faith. We have achieved reboot, people. Ah, yeah, Look, I I. I don't apologize for being the stick in the mud because I didn't want to do League of Extraordinary Crapness. And I think we came to something so much better. I am very pleased at how it turned out. Agree. I agree. I'll, 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 I'll do like Ron. I concur. <laughs> Thank you, Doctor. <laughs> and I shall do like the reiterator. And I concur. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's a happy Halloween for all you folks. I hope uh, your your bags are full and you get more treats than tricks. Um, if you like what we're doing here, as always, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell. We're here every week and uh, we'll be back next week. We might do a little something different next week. So you have to be subscribed so you can check out our community posts. You know, they've got that weird YouTube thing where you can sort of post Instagram-like posts. We use it, but you don't see it unless you're subscribed. So subscribe. Next time we'll be back. We've got more reboots coming. We're only about halfway through season three, people. So get on board. Uh, And in the meantime, enjoy your Halloween. For Billy Business, for Ed Greer, for Ron Swallow, I'm producer Bill. We'll see you next time. Hey guys, this is Ron. If you want to check out what we are currently doing, all you have to do is go to the Rebooted channel on YouTube, and you can see our sweet faces talking about this stuff. We've got a new Tee Public store for you to get all of the cool shirts that you could possibly want. The Mumbo Gumbo, the Pop Art Reboot Crew, the classic logo, and then of course, the Rebooted Drinking Game, which has Jensen Ackles and DJ Qualls among other fan favorite comments. So do yourself a favor, go to tpublic.com slash user slash reboot dash it and pick up your favorite t-shirt. So thanks for listening and thanks for supporting. Reboot it.